The Raw Rugby Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Raw Rugby Podcast, powered by ASICS. I'm Brett McKay. Eddie Jones has named his World Cup squad, and Owen Farrell might be in some judiciary trouble for the second time in 2023. Your place for the biggest and best international rugby discussion is the Raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate. Just an absolute joy to have Ben Darwin on the pod last week. A fascinating conversation that covered off so many equally fascinating topics within the rugby and the sporting analytics games. And thanks to so many of you who got in touch to say how much you enjoyed it. And then ditto what we've dubbed Squad Pod, the special edition reaction to the Wallaby Squad announcement on Thursday night. went down very, very well, as always. Join me this and every week, the co-host of the new number one rugby podcast in those well-known rugby and human rights hotbeds of Cambodia and Saudi Arabia, the king of the psychedelic cold plunge himself, Harry Jones. Hello, mate. How's it, Brett? Yes, it's uh, 14 days straight cold plunge delivering uh, promos for the World Cup. At this point, my, my brain is scrambled, but they're hitting. I'm getting 50,000 views. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's maybe a, some sort of soft uh, bot kind of situation or not, but people seem to love the it's cold working. plunge. <clears throat> Here's yeah. my theory. People are tuning in in case you get, in case you get hypothermia. I think you're actually <laughs> wanting to see whether you freeze. I joked that my... I joked that my willy and my LaRue are shrinking every day, but hey, I'm there for indeed. the team. Indeed, indeed. Um, ben Darwin last week, mate, was, was so good, wasn't he? We, we weren't going to ask about our pod cohesion and whether we got better over time, but we got this little nugget of feedback from a Wellington sports guy on Twitter who said, great podcast. In answer to your question about cohesion for your pod, dead air is the killer in radio and podcasting. You having none of it demonstrates familiarity and cohesion in my uneducated opinion. There you go. High praise. Oh, now I feel like pressure. I have to say something. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Powered by ASICS, the Raw has in place a wonderful partnership with ASICS, the official performance apparel and footwear supplier for the Wallabies uh, and the superb Wallabies 2023 Rugby World Cup playing jersey is available to purchase in-store and online at asics.com.au now. And voting has closed now in the Raw's quest to name the greatest ever Wallabies Rugby World Cup 15, where Jim Tucker, Christy Doran and myself narrowed down that list from more than 150 players to have put on a Wallabies jersey at a World Cup, down to a short list of five in every position. Voting's all closed in that now. You can still find the shortlisting pod, um, and the counting is well and truly underway for the world's greatest ever Wallabies Rugby World Cup 15, powered by ASICS, is unveiled in the days leading up to this year's tournament. Mate, hit me with a hero for the week. What do you got? The hero is the man in the bunker, or the person who came up with the idea of the man in the bunker, or the derivative idea from league, or whoever it came from. doesn't matter, because I remember when I was sitting in London, watching England-Ireland, or I was sitting in Adelaide watching box wallabies. When there's a card discussion on the field, which took five, six, seven minutes, mm. and it was crucial, so no problem, referees are doing their job, it was dead, dead air for the guys in the stadium. Yeah. So why punish someone who shelled out 300 pounds or 250 bucks to go to a game? Maybe they even traveled, and everyone at home is having a beer, going to the loo, do whatever they want to do, but you're at the game and you're literally talking <laughs> to your neighbor saying, well, what do you think happened? What do you think yeah. happened? It's horrible. And when you're chasing yeah. 300 million bucks or 200 million bucks like these people are, private equity, the investors want to know, why is live events still going to be the ticket? Why do I want yeah. to plunk down key money? 
why do I want to pay for events when the hosts of us are saying that the stadiums could be half full? So this mm -hmm. man of the bunker thing that finally got Aphrodite Owen Farrell, who never uses arms, is the fan of the shoulder, the city of big shoulders. This guy finally got gut. And I think maybe, um, I'm not rejoicing in the pain of the palms, but what I'm saying is that that is a good thing, that the bunker system mm. works. The referee have a, referees don't have that, that burden of, I'm changing the whole match. <clears throat> and I know the players a little bit, but the bunker guy is, is he's removed. He's, he's in a laboratory space. I like it. <clears throat> and I put it to you that once they dished out the third yellow card, in the space of seven minutes. I don't think they're really caring about what, what happened at that point. Like, what, are, what are you supposed to do? So, yeah, it's a good point. And we go back to that point Angus Gardner made back in May that, you know, maybe the referee's audio in that discussion about what is it a yellow card, is it a red card, what, maybe that needs to be piped over. That's what Angus said at the night. And I think it's got a lot of... A lot of yeah, Dave, so. either when you, when you go to watch Ireland, they actually sell the sets outside the stadium. I got one yeah, for five Yeah, bucks. you can still buy them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, zero over the week might just be England's discipline, funnily enough. <laughs> Those aforementioned yellow cards, four of them in the win over Wales on the weekend, three of them at the same time. And, yeah, Owen Farrell's upgraded to a very clear red card. And you have to wonder whether Steve Borthwick has new problems on his hands. So we'll see how that all plays out, and we will no doubt talk to it to that more before the end of the pod but let's get to this week's guest mate it's wonderful to have another great former wallaby gracing our little pod and another great wallaby with so much experience at rugby world cup level except this time around this former great wallaby is now paying the bills the raw rugby podcast we're back to the pods sydney studios once again this week where we welcome someone who has literally bled for club state and country he's given it all for his country on the field now he's back in the firing line for his country off the field. Please welcome new Rugby Australia CEO, Phil Wall. Thanks much for, for joining us on the podcast. Uh, great to uh, be joining you. I've uh, listened to you a fair few times, so it's, uh, it's great to be in the hot seat. Oh, pressure's now on here, Harry. <laughs> That's bringing <laughs> the heat. True, we're just going to assume that it is. Yeah, very good, very good. Tell us, Phil, is the, um, is the nervousness of a World Cup when you're in the squad, is that is it more stressful in the squad or is it more stressful in the corner office working out how things are going to play out? <laughs> I, do, I do joke that um, I got beaten up on the field. I thought I missed it so much, I'm going to go into sports administration. <laughs> at, least, at least in sport, when I was on the field playing, I knew the kicks were coming from the opposition. Now i just got to be prepared from anywhere. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's funny. I, I uh, you know, it's it's a massive uh, honour and privilege, but it's a huge responsibility, which uh, which I'm looking forward to. But uh, it's funny you say that about the nerves because uh, um, it's, it's 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 just as nervous, I'd say, just in a yeah. different sort of way. I mean, I think uh, most importantly, I think you want to see your team play that Australian spirit and that real yeah. passion and pride um, that uh, so many before had played with, and. Um, and I think the first four uh, tests that I've seen, um, yeah, the guys uh, keep getting better and better, uh, fighting for a little bit longer each test. So hopefully they're timing their, their, uh, their run well. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. We uh, Harry popped a tweet out over the weekend and, and asked for a few questions to, to throw you away, and we got questions coming in for days. They were still coming in. 10 minutes ago. I, I, must hope, admit, I hope I don't disappoint anyone, right? So, well, well, look, we're, yeah. we're not going to, we're not going to get to them all, but I had to laugh at the one that said, and it's, it's, it's unfair. I'll declare this up front, but I did have to laugh. And it said, 
did he get the job because George Smith didn't apply for it? He's the consultant. I've just got him in the corner. Yeah, that's good. That is quite funny. That's cheeky. It is cheeky. It is cheeky. We ask the same question every week, Phil, and that is just to simply ask what stood out for you on a rugby weekend around the country or around the world in your case maybe. Uh, well, interesting. I, I watched the uh, the game that you were talking about earlier uh, uh, in the gym this morning at, uh, at six a.m. the uh, the England Wales game, and uh, I, I, I thought uh, you know England to uh, to have I think twelve players on the field at, uh, at one point yeah. there and uh, and held on, and Wales weren't able to expose them. Um, but interestingly, I, I would say I thought the Welsh scrum was pretty strong. So uh, you know, if you think about where we're positioned right now, we've got a little bit of work to do there, and we need to ensure that uh, you know we're, we're working hard over the next month because uh, you know that 24th of September game in Lyon, um, there's going to be a yeah. lot of pressure there. So uh, you know, and, and and not just that, I think the first test against uh, Georgia that we've got, uh, and one of their great strengths is scrummaging as well. So uh, so really important that. Uh, yeah, we've got some great talent coming through uh, in the front row and uh, we just need to keep them out there on the field. Yeah, that's the, that's the big challenge at the moment. I'm very pleased to say that two of the three of us will be in Leon for that game and you can guess the one that's not travelling. Um, Harry, which, what did you see over the weekend? You'll be deep in our fondest hearts. We'll be, uh, I'll dedicate my, <laughs> my drinking sessions yeah. at Leon and my, yeah, uh, great. No, my match day experience to, to you. No, I think I would just I would kind of uh, aggregate the two weekends we've just seen and say the French maybe not as squared away as they as they might have hoped going into their 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 home World Cup, and the Welsh may not be as dire as was predicted six months ago. Yeah, which is not surprising because <clears throat> Warren Gatlin does have a track record for getting teams ready in a short amount of time and upskilling them. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, no, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Um, for for me, it was. It was finals time in club rugby around Australia, and it was the case in Canberra, Brisbane, Sydney, certainly. And there was Super Rugby, and there was Wallabies players everywhere. Um, the here in Canberra, Gungarland beat minor premiers Tuggeron to win through to the, to the grand final, and I think the Gungarland pack alone had four Brumbies in it. So it was a pretty, it was a pretty fair, pretty fair side they they ran out. Um, but of course, it actually that'll be the last weekend of it because the Australia A players. Uh, going to camp on Saturday, I believe, uh, heading off for for Australia A. So, have I got that right, Phil? Australia A squad named early this week. Yeah, that's that's right. So uh, we'll play against Portugal for Portugal's warm up game against us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just just outside of Paris or half an hour outside of Paris, and then uh, and then a lot of those players. I think fifteen of them are going on and uh, and and touring around with the Barbarians. So that yeah. Uh, uh, which is actually not too dis- dissimilar to what we did in 1999. As uh, a lot of us that oh, were over there yeah. with a uh, similar classics um, style, uh, which is similar to Barbarians, in preparation for the 99 World Cup. So, um, yeah, it, you, you, God forbid, there's uh, I- you know an injury that uh, occurs during the tournament. There'll be players there in the time zone ready to go. Oh, I was going to ask you: is is that Eddie's insurance policy having having Australia A over there and the and the Barbar squad ready to go as well? Well, I think I think it's a, it's a bit of both. I think uh, giving our players a bit more ex- experience playing yeah. uh, you know, in, that, in that tier below, playing against Northern Hemisphere team. So uh, uh, it's good good for them. Um, you know, to your point, you know, we've got to be conscious of uh, the importance of club rugby as well. And uh, a lot of these yeah. guys are really enjoying getting back to club rugby. So it's uh, it's a tough uh, balancing act. And mm-hmm. you know, it's probably the the earliest uh, World Cup there's been for some time as well, which is why it crosses over uh, with club rugby. So yeah, uh, again, it's. 
it's one of those ones around scheduling. Um, you know, I've, I've come through the club system and uh, and won uh, lots of premierships at Sydney Uni, but uh, grew up playing uh, Narrabeen Tigers and Warringah and all boying for Warringah. And I just uh, I, I do understand the importance of uh, getting our, our professional players back into club rugby. You're you're about to find out the hard way just how tough scheduling is, isn't it, aren't you? <laughs> I've already I've already noticed it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's also a really good opportunity to sort of step back and go. Actually, if you're going to if you're going to design scheduling, um, you know, yeah, how do you ensure that uh, we're, we're we're getting as many games uh, for our players as possible uh, and making it uh, as interesting as possible, but also uh, in 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 clear you know clear air really. So you're not trying to com- you know you're, got, you're not trying to compete with other uh, other codes or uh, or yeah. other games on in rugby. So it's uh, yeah it's. There's a lot of competing uh, priorities, but we need to try and uh, try and get the best schedules as, uh, as we can. Yeah, and finding clear air is getting harder and harder. There's no no two ways about that. Um, you've been in the in the big office a little while now. What has been the most unexpected thing that's popped up in the job so far? Um, I like how you say a little while, sort of uh, five weeks. But thanks, might uh, <laughs> give me a little bit more time than that. Um, uh, most most unexpected uh, was probably early on. Uh, I, I uh, went to the World Rugby Meetings in London, and uh, when I say unexpected, unexpected in a really positive way. Uh, it was mm. it was actually really progressive around how collaborative all the national unions are uh, in working uh, with each other to to the point we're just covering around scheduling and how do we try and you know, align the international or global seasons. And, uh, you know, when you think about the growth of the women's game, uh, how do we ensure that, uh, you know, it's only very uh, young in terms of uh, Mm. international uh, competition with women's uh, 15? So how do you actually, at the outset, set up a really good uh, global calendar so that we're seeing the best players play against each other uh, with as little distraction as possible? So uh, in terms of the unexpected piece, I'd say how progressive and collaborative uh, each national union is around trying to make it work for for the whole system, not just their own union. You went over there expecting self-interest to dictate? What do they well, say about rugby and self-interest? You hear some, you hear some uh, interesting stories around uh, the, yeah, the his, history of, uh, of IRB yeah. and, and then world rugby. And, <laughs> uh, and so uh, I went in well prepared, but I thought, uh, I thought it was actually really uh, collaborative and, uh, and, prog- and progressive <laughs> conversations, which is, which is great for world rugby. <laughs> Harry's too polite to ask. Do, do the elbow patches get fixed during the meeting or on the way in? <laughs> you get a, it's a prerequisite to get into the meeting. But, uh, <laughs> I think, uh, uh, Northern Beaches, boy, I sort of still got to find those leather patches. Of course, of course. Well, you also have to have lots of cranberry chinos. Just pack your closet full of those, man. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend you're at the MCC. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did put out the word to people to say what should we what should we ask for one. A lot of the questions coded into several categories, but one overarching thing is I'm not even sure people understand. I'm not sure I understand the role because the CEO is in rugby Australia is a unique CEO. It's not like you know um, a lot of the questions almost acted like you were a CEO of a private company or uh, or, or uh, a listed company. And it's different. And, uh, and I imagine you're still evolving. But, you know, what is the day in the life of? Uh, what does it look like? Mm. What, are you, what are your portfolios? You know, CEOs are notorious for not having tasks and obligations, but all the responsibility. Like, how do you do that? Yeah, it's actually a very really good question because, 
and 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 the way that uh, Rugby Australia is formed is that we're we're um, here to serve our member unions really. So member unions deliver the community game, um, and uh, and Rugby Australia delivers the national teams. Uh, but essentially, yeah, the governing body um, of uh, of rugby union in Australia. But it doesn't happen without really good people within the member unions. So a lot of it's uh, to to be fair. I've been focusing largely on uh, on connecting. Um, aligning and uh, and simplifying um, systems, and, uh, and I think one of the great frustrations um, across the game is probably how complicated uh, the system has mm. become, uh, and also the the real lack of connectivity between the amateur game and the professional game. And mm. uh, and I think you know since professionalism came in in 1996 uh, to where we are today, I think we've probably drifted further and further apart. Um, from the amateur game, and Brie, you talked about club rugby and uh, and being out there on the weekend uh, watching club rugby, um, and and certainly when I was playing Super Rugby, you'd have uh, you'd go and watch people would go and watch their, their players playing club, and they would then go to watch uh, the Waratahs in my case. Uh, whereas now you're probably getting that uh, that choice: so am I going to go and watch club, or am I going to go and watch Super Rugby? And so you know, I, I think a lot of it's around, uh, as I said, uh, you know, connecting with people. Um, it's, it's amazing how many good people there are across the system that want rugby to do well. Uh, and then it's around uh, around aligning uh, the game as much as we possibly can across all our member unions uh, and then simplifying um, the pathways. And so, you know, that's a really long way of answering your question there, <laughs> Harry. But, uh, but but I think that I think like as a, as, as, as a philosophy, um, you know, I do like the saying sort of, you know, it's, um, you know, one team from club to country. And uh, and that's yeah, what we need yeah. to do. We need to really connect with our people and, um, you know, and make it personal. It's, uh, you know, tribalism, um, you know, when people feel like they've got, they're personally invested, it's uh, it's great for the game. And yeah. so, um, you know, I, I, I do, uh, I can go through my diary with you as well, Harry, if you like, another time. But <laughs> it's, it's certainly not. Hey, that sounds interesting. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll pencil that in for the next for next appearance, definitely. Go go to the barber with Eddie. Do you got do you guys have the same barber? <laughs> it's pretty good. It's 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 pretty quick though that trip. <laughs> it's like fair. Eddie has a soul patch. I'm telling you, Phil, he has a soul yeah. patch on his head. Tell tell him it's that been, he could been, trademark that. It's been yeah. the same. It's been the same for as long as I've known him. That's been about 24 yeah. years. So, uh, okay. so I hope uh, I hope that I can hang on for as long as he has. <laughs> I'm, I'm tipping. Uh, I'm tipping. There was only one take for that ad, Phil, because you can't cut much more off. Well, I, I like the fact that I like the fact that everyone else in those ads is acting except for Eddie. Yeah, true. <laughs> but no, Phil. Those questions that I, questions that I got from uh, my my tweets, and some of those, my, some of my tweets were delivered with clothes on. Actually, um, they <laughs> the main one of the main things was why will you succeed where others failed? And you might you might reject the premise because I'm not sure that. It's clear that Andy Marinos failed anywhere, um, but you know the, the, the idea is you know this is a complicated problem. No one's been able to find the the country community club uh, uh, mix. Why will you succeed? What's different? Yeah, I mean, I don't. Um, you know, obviously they've been reasonably short uh, tenures, um, and uh, and a lot of talk around failure. But as you say, there's sort of it's for different reasons. Um, there's been turnover. Um, yeah, the, 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 the answer to that, we probably I've already hopefully covered in terms of, of connection and, and the appropriate level of focus. And you know, the, these roles, you can't uh, do them on your own. And, um, and mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's about having really good people around you and, 
and uh, and leveraging that skill set as well. So we've got a really active and engaged board uh, that have got a whole range of skill sets. So how do I leverage uh, those skill sets? Uh, put really good people around me um, and uh, and and connect. And uh, there's so many good people in the community game. So many good people across our member unions and Super Rugby clubs. And how do we come together and try and solve the many different challenges together um, rather than um, ra- ra- rather than uh, sort of you know not having solutions and raising a whole lot of problems. And so uh, now, look, I'm I'm I'm, I'm aspirational. I'm also very. Uh, uh, I, I understand it's a huge challenge, and uh, and history says that the tenure isn't very long. But uh, <laughs> I do, I do, I do, I do hope, I do hope that um, yeah, just through transparency um, and uh, and and authenticity, um, yeah, we can bring bring a lot of really good people together to uh, to to do as, as best we possibly can for the game. And and if you think about the runway we have, I mean, it's pretty exciting when you uh, you know yeah. the World Cup uh, later this year, which. Yeah, you know, on the back of uh, you know what's going on at the moment uh, around uh, the FIFA Women's World Cup and the Matildas, there's a whole lot of nas- national interest yeah. uh, around sport, and then uh, and then we run into the Lions in 25, home Men's World Cup in 27, and uh, if you think about the, um, the 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 support the Matildas have at the moment, uh, and then you think about the 29 home Rugby World Cup, and look, mm. I think just the interest of Australians in national teams playing on the global stage is phenomenal and so we, we just yeah. need to keep, like, keep leaning into that are they are they conversations that you would you you would have to be having those conversations in the office now already everyone's seen how everyone has just got on board with the Matildas particularly after Saturday night if they weren't already but you you couldn't help but think about that and then project it forward to Alliance tour and two World Cups coming you, that like that's that's, that's actually got to be exciting it's exactly the conversations we've been having around the office, and, yeah. and 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 we need to, in my view, pretty we're a pretty small country when it comes to population. We're small when it comes to geography. We're large, and uh, and you think uh, we we just we just need to have a mentality around coexisting uh, mm-hmm. with our with our competitors because uh, yeah we've got a great proposition in rugby uh, in the fact that it's played uh, you know in so many different countries right around the world. And, uh, and, and it is a competitive advantage for us. And, uh, and so the more we can actually get people exposed to the game, um, mm-hmm. I think the better we're going to be. And, and, uh, and that, that includes uh, embracing other codes as well and learning from them. And uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, think, I think it's really exciting. It's really ignited, uh, it's really ignited uh, people around the country. And, and uh, you know, we, we, should, we should leverage that. Yeah. Does it tell you that there's an investment in women's sport worth making now, if you possibly can. And I know that 25 has been a stated goal for professionalism for the, for the Wallaroos, but do you actually need to try and bring that forward and try and get, you know, try and get that through to the Super W squads as well? Yeah, I think we, um, yeah, you, you look at who's doing really well at the moment and uh, in the women's game and it's, it's, it's New Zealand, it's England and it's, uh, and it's France. Um, they're, they're all well progressed on professionalising the women's game and, uh, and and we moved uh, one step closer last year after the Women's World Cup, but we've got a long way to go, and we're very realistic around uh, around that. Yeah. And you know, a lot a lot comes down to uh, you know to to, to um, yeah the economics of it, and how do we ensure that we can afford to grow the game because you want it to be sustainable. Uh, but it's certainly a priority of ours, and uh, you know, and, and and leveraging exactly what's gone on with the interest in the Matildas to say this is what we should be doing and can do with the Wallaroos. Um, and we've done a really good job with the women's sevens over over a number of years. Yeah. So um, yeah, like we're going to be playing, we're going to be playing more games. We're going to be uh, producing, um, you know, uh, uh, more professional athletes by mm-hmm. uh, by actually professionalising the game. 
Does is part of that having conversations? And you mentioned other codes there, um, and I, I immediately got me thinking that down here in Canberra, there's a number of girls that played Super W for the Brumbies at the start of the year, and they've now in the Raiders NRL NRLW squad. And 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 I still remember Don Ferner last year um, at a press conference telling me and he was almost apologetic, saying, "Mate, we're, we're going to talk to a couple of Brumbies girls." And then he revealed that he and Phil Thompson quickly worked out that there was no overlap in their season. So all of a sudden they could have 10 or 11 a month athletes and that they'd both benefit. So is that something worth looking into? Yeah, we, we've looked at, we, we've, we've already looked at, at, at a lot of that. And it's, uh, it has yeah. been happening, happening for a couple of years across NRLW and, and, and Super W. Um, ideally we can get to a position, particularly around our Wallaroos where they are full-time professionals um, yeah. And and doing a lot of touring. I mean, they've just been to Canada for a few weeks. Uh, got a tour to New Zealand um, in the uh, in in the tournament later in the year in the XV1. Um, so so we're already starting to play more games. But if yeah. you look at why the North are moving forward, and this is a little bit like I'm not sure how much you've covered the Under 20s uh, World Cup on your show, mm-hmm. but a little bit yeah. what's happened uh, over over time in the Under 20s is that. The Six Nations teams are playing so re- regularly against yeah. each other. They're getting better and better, and uh, and and you can see that flowing through in the under twenties. Uh, you can see it flowing through in the women's game, and so we're just going to need we need to be playing more more games, touring more, uh, experiencing uh, you know what our game has to offer internationally, and and that that takes investment. But uh, but in that in that uh, fringe, I think that coexisting and getting more games and uh, and allowing uh, our young female athletes to earn more money. Um, mm. and, uh, and and train in a professional environment for as long as they can in the 12-month period. I think that's 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 great. And, uh, you yeah. know, we're here to support that and we just need to keep, keep growing the investment into the women's sport um, and, and rugby is just part of that. Yeah. Sorry, Harry. Yeah, so, so obviously one of your remits is to chase um, private money, private investment. I'm not sure what the project's called. I've heard it's called Project Aurora. Um, but obviously your, your scale you're working with is, you know, revenues of about a hundred million tops. Sometimes you have operating losses of four, sometimes 21. Um, and so obviously there's a need, there's a, there's a hole there, but when you're out there beating the bushes, looking for that investment, what are the main pushbacks you're getting from private money? Like, what do they care about? I've heard it's key money, the, the, the guaranteed payments, you must pay these venues for, you know, years ahead, the millions up front. Um, but is there also concern that uh, just, you know, full stadiums, like how do you pack stadiums and how do you have enough competitions? How do you have enough games? Australia never seems to have enough actual matches for players. Yeah, I mean, we're, 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 we're fortunate to my earlier points around uh, where we are in the cycle. So, uh, you know, the Lions in 25 and then Home World Cups in 27 and 29, we're fortunate in uh, in where we are in the cycle, having the conversations with uh, potential investors, so um, yeah, there, there's no doubt that we're in a congested market um, for sport in Australia, and so you know, if it's NRL, um, AFL, um, you know, the, the broadcasting and uh, and conflict that occurs uh, within that broadcasting market is uh, um, is 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 one of the challenges. Um, but in saying that, uh, I think right now, to my to my earlier point, you talked a little bit to the numbers there. Um, for an investor looking at Rugby Australia right now, I would have thought it's very appealing uh, for what the upside is. And uh, we've had very, uh, very positive conversations. Um, but again, it's uh, for us, we're, we're, we're the governing body for our member unions. And so we're going to make sure that we're doing the right thing and making the right decisions for, uh, for all the participants across our game 
around the country. So uh, yeah, we're, we're only pretty uh, pretty early in the in the conversations, but uh, all conversations so far have, uh, have been largely very positive. Is the is the New Zealand experience um, uh, almost a perfect template to watch to see what not to do or what to do differently? And I think they've said they're plowing a million dollars into each one of their community clubs. And I think that money's been delivered, but then they don't tell the clubs what to do with it. So some clubs are building um, physical um, grounds. Others are pushing women's game. Others are pushing uh, community involvement. Uh, is that mm. the way you're, you're seeing it? Is it's, it's really just getting the money in and then the community clubs decide? Uh, no, so, so I think that, and, and that's why I think bringing the uh, member unions uh, on the journey is so important. Um, so that we're all aligned in the fact that a, a big part of this uh, is around uh, you know, setting the game up uh, um, for a sustainable, uh, financially sustainable uh, in perpetuity. And so how do you say, well, actually, uh, you know, if you think back to 2003 um, and what came through the World Cup there and then, you know, where we are now financially, uh, you know, you can say that, uh, you know, we should have made a few different uh, choices in terms of quarantining some money um, and so, you know, a large part of, uh, you know, when we think about it is actually, um, you know, the, the, the community legacy side of, uh, of things and, and, and setting up a fund to, uh, to protect the game going forward. And so, um, you know, we, we, we can look across at New Zealand and, uh, and take some learnings. Um, you know, really important, to, again, for the players to be uh, brought along the journey as well. So the importance of uh, Rupa uh, in the conversations. Mm. But, uh, you know, I think that you need to you need to ensure that, you know, we're not just uh, tipping money um, into a whole lot of different individuals making decisions around how it's spent. Uh, but as a game, we're coming together and saying, actually, this is the best use of the funds. Um, and we and we bring people who are uh, subject matter experts, mm. experts into those conversations. One of the, the big t ticket items is obviously the, the third tier. I, I think there's universal agreement that, that we need something in place between Super Rugby and, and between club rugby around the country. Um, probably the biggest challenge is going to be working out how to do it and what it looks like and whether it's five teams or it's eight teams or it's 20 teams, whatever it is. I know there's been conversations um, at, at state CEO level. What's the progress there? Where are you seeing things going in that direction? Yeah, I mean, we've got, we've got a conversation coming up in a couple of weeks' time to, to really uh, dive into this. Um, my, my, my own um, personal view is that goes probably go, that goes back to the uh, connecting piece around, mm. you know, connecting with community. I, I, I genuinely believe across our club system, uh, um, you know, we can be, um, the rugby clubs can be the beating heart of communities and uh, in some instances it's done, done like that and it's done really well. Um, and so, uh, you know, I don't think we need to necessarily fabricate um, teams um, to bring it into a, a national competition. It's, you know, more probably around how do we, how, how do we ensure that we, uh, we leverage that level of tribalism uh, and get the appropriate, whether it's cross-border competition um, or, we, uh, or, or we do something a little bit more creative um, around, uh, around that. But, you know, if, if, if I you know, go back to sort of where Australia rugby has been really strong is when we've been connecting our professional players and our wallabies back into the community game. Um, and uh, and some of our club games are, are really good, high-quality games of, of, of rugby. So mm. uh, I, I think sometimes we're a little bit hard on ourselves around the quality that we have uh, in, in clubs and uh, and whether that's John Dent Cup, um, you know, uh, Shoot Shield, Hospital Cup. You know, some mm. of those games are, are genuinely uh, competitive and, and high-quality games. And, 
And, uh, and I think sometimes we criticise ourselves a, a little bit more than we should around the quality of our club system. It seems like there's plenty of talent at the young and that Australia and New Zealand match up very well at schools level and under 20. It seems to be somewhere in that next stage where there's not enough opportunities for coaching and for young players who may not have hit their stride yet, but then, you know, they catch them. Young catch referees. Them. Yep. Yeah, before they've yep. slipped through. Yep. Yeah, referees, coaches and players. <clears throat> Yeah, I think that's a fair observation. I also do think that, um, you know, we, 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 we do have a dilution of talent um, as we go through those years because you do have um, other options in professional right. sport. And so if you're not yeah. getting into a team um, quickly enough, then other options to either <laughs> go across the league or go overseas um, come into the player's mind. So, um, so we do. I mean, we've we definitely got to do a better job in the pathways. I mean, pathways is uh, is what sets us up, and and we know now that uh, securing players at a far younger age than what we have had to historically is is really important. Um, but but you're right in saying that uh, you know that dilution of talent um, from 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 that sort of you know let's call it Australian twenties um, through to then what comes through the Super Rugby teams. That's what uh, we need to do a lot of work on. Interestingly, though, uh, you know, again, we we um, we probably when you put your best twenty three players or squad of thirty players together at that that level, we're really competitive. Um, I think where we we probably less competitive is actually then if you go to the next thirty and the next thirty down, yeah. is that the same as what we're seeing in um, in Ireland or in France yeah. or in New Zealand? And so it's that sort of depth of talent. Um, and then we then filter out into the five professional teams at Super Rugby level, um, and we just need to make sure that we've got the depth coming through because that's where we're being found out a little bit uh, at Super Rugby mm. level. And we've certainly seen that. Like, so there's been so many Super Rugby games this year were decided by the benches effectively. And yeah. uh, I think about the the Brumbies who probably managed their their bench as good as any team in the competition this year, and you've only got to go to, you know, pretty well any of the other clubs any of the other australian sides anyway and there was a big there was a big difference there so i guess the question is is how can we get more decent level game time into players you know 16 to 35 in a, in a state squad yeah i, I think um yeah, that's that's and, the, and this is one where i think we need to come together as uh as as all the professional teams but um you know if you're not if you're not in the 23, how do we get more game time across yeah. uh, players who aren't playing? And you, know, you, you go through and, and talk to New Zealanders and uh, you, know, you might compare Richie Moonga versus uh, Carter Gordon when they played their first test match and how many uh, good quality top uh, grade games they'd played before they get out into the, uh, in the, on the big stage. And I think that's yeah. the real example. And so, um, and then this comes back to your, your earlier question around the third tier and, and, uh, and is it... Uh, yeah, that is it. Is it a, is it a club? Um, is it club competition amongst clubs? Is it is it something whereby we're bringing clubs together and creating regions? Um, I think we need to we really, really uh, work that uh, solution out because yeah, you know, if you're not playing Super Rugby, you need to be playing good quality mm. rugby. And, uh, and at the moment, you know, clearly we're not playing enough games uh, across the system. Mm. And uh, and I think that everyone's recognised that. Then it's around you know, the other geography is not easy as we know because uh, you know we're, we're one of the largest countries. And, uh, and getting from Perth to Sydney or Sydney to Perth is uh, is, is a long way. And so, you know, we, we, need to, we need to nut that out in the next uh, few weeks because, you know, time's getting away from us. We talked about the World Cup in 27 um, and the Lions in 25. Uh, you know, it sounds like a long way away, but that's just around the corner in terms of preparation. And, yeah, we need to move quickly. That, 
that was going to be one of the questions. So, have you got a time frame on this? I mean, I, the easy would the easy answer is we need it yesterday. But what's what's realistic is like is is twenty twenty four for 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 third tier on the radar? Is it doable? Yeah, I think it has to be on the radar. But we need to be we need to be ambitious. Uh, we we, yeah. you know, we we're talking about this golden decade, and I think it's really exciting. Obviously, I'm really excited about the golden decade. But when you think golden decade, you think a long time. Uh, but yeah. but we haven't got a long time. We've, we've got uh, you know, <laughs> no. we've we got twenty 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 five, which is actually less than uh, less than two years now mm. until we play uh, we play the Lions, um, and we can see what's going on in the Northern Hemisphere with their um, development and talent coming through. Um, you know, then the World Cup is uh, you know, it's, it's a little over four years away um, in Australia, mm. and so yeah, we need to solve for the uh, we need to solve for that bridge between Super Rugby and then the the pathway that's coming mm. through from the club system. So I've used the example of Noel Olaseo and Marcus Smith before, and, and I think I worked out at the start of this season that they made their first-class debut, for the one of a better term, within months of each other. They're about six months apart in age, but at the start of this year, Marcus Smith had basically played twice as many games as yeah. Noel Olaseo, and that's, and that's the big difference. So thinking about this further then and what's, and what's achievable in 2024, Phil, tell me why... The five states playing each other at this at this back end of the year is not the cheapest, quickest, easiest, most effective, least offensive way of getting this job done. Uh, so, so the answer to that um, could, is it could be, um, but but my 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 probably um, broader sort of stepping back is actually the connection with the community is so important, and and mm-hmm. so connecting with clubs. And uh, and putting players into the clubs and into the community is also really important. And and, and look, I think that uh, we do have systems and club systems um, across the country um, that, if we put our best athletes into them, uh, can do can 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 be a really competitive uh, competition. So it, it your your suggestion may be the answer, uh, but then you've got to ensure that we're connecting with the community and it's relevant and meaningful to uh, to to our. our, yeah. our Water base, and that's 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 the question, and uh, you know I think that's the one that we're still we're, we'll be wrestling over in the next couple of weeks. But you know the, the other one is yeah, if you're not playing if you're not playing in the twenty three, um, you know on the weekend or on a Saturday, then you should be playing club uh, as quickly as you can get back out there and yeah. play club rather than resting or or touring yeah. or doing whatever. Like you've got to be playing you've got to be playing rugby. There's there's no yeah. other way. You talk about academies, we talk about all these different things. The only way you really improve. Is, um, is is to getting all the work behind you in terms of training with academies and institutes, uh, but the best way to improve your rugby is play rugby. Yeah, and it's interesting that I know the Brumbies are touring Japan. I think the Rebels might be doing something something similar. The Force are going to play the Cheaters, Cheaters from South Africa, yeah. both on both sides of the Indian Ocean as well. So the states have got their programs there ready to go. So they obviously want to play. They're spending the money. It's just a matter of can head office. Give us a competition, maybe. That's what that's what it feels like on the on the outside yeah. of the team, maybe. Yeah, no, that's that's a, that's fair, and uh, and I think that probably goes back to what we first talked about around scheduling, yeah. um, because scheduling yes. is important as well. So, uh, um, but but I will say um, one of the uh, real downsides of losing South Africa out of Super Rugby is that we play very much the same style um, yeah. competition yeah. across Australia and New Zealand and the Pacific. So, um, you know, doing a tour into into the Cheetahs. Um, doing a tour up in Japan, uh, having having experience in Europe, 
it actually prepares our athletes uh, for a different style of rugby than what we're playing week in, week out. And so, you know, if you were to replace... Um, um, if you were to replace those experiences with just playing each other all the time, um, then maybe you don't get that uh, real rounded experience that we need to go forward. So, I, I, I mean, um, it probably goes back to uh, yeah, the, the, the comment around scheduling that I talked about earlier around... Uh, <laughs> There's your biggest no, challenge. No, no one's ever been able to solve it. And so, uh, so, so yeah. I'm not saying oh, I will be able to solve it, but I do think we need to go, actually, if you're going to set up the season... And, and by the way, it's actually quite cyclical when you think about, uh, you know, Lions tours, sure. World Cup years, yeah. it's quite different. Um, but I do think we need to, and, and, and when we've got the Nations Cup coming in um, and, you, and you start talking about, uh, you know, aligning potentially the Rugby Championship with the Six Nations window. And so there's all mm. these uh, there's all these other variables uh, going <laughs> on at the moment, which... Uh, which, which makes 20s sense. TRC. And the 20s TRC, which come yeah. which then we, and, then, and we should be starting talking about schools and 18s TRC yeah. under 16s TRC. How, how do we give these uh, young athletes experience uh, globally that you can't get in rugby league? Uh, yeah, yeah, and and so it's a really good opportunity for us. I think you need to talk to Qantas again. You're going to need him as a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> Jones has named his his squad. Um, I think there's still a little bit of head scratching to go to go going with it, and 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 I don't know that um, the average fan saw the the change of tack coming like it did. When did you get an inkling that that Eddie was having different thoughts about this year's World Cup? Well, I think uh, I mean you, you've you've had a chat with Eddie, so uh, I mean Eddie Eddie thinks he didn't a lot give about, up anything at that point. I'm sure he didn't, but uh, yeah, Eddie thinks a lot about the game and. And, uh, and Eddie's, Eddie's incredibly loyal. And so I think the first couple of test matches, uh, he was very loyal to players who had served the game uh, really well. And, um, and, and then we didn't get the results. And, uh, and, and you know, Eddie's shaping um, the, the side for, for what he thinks can be most competitive in France. And, uh, and there's been quite a shift when you think about the team that took the field in Pretoria to the side that would take the, the field in, 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 in Paris. And... Uh, Oh, look, I think he's gone with youth. He's, he's, he's thought, well, actually, I feel I can get a lot out of this group in a short period of time, but also I can look forward to the Lions and I can look forward to a Home World Cup in uh, 2027, similar to what potentially the French did going into the 2019 World Cup, setting themselves up for 2023. <coughs> and so uh, and so, I think he's, he's, he's actually sort of had a reset moment. Uh, he genuinely believes we can win the World Cup this year as well, um, and, yeah. as we all do. Um, you know, maybe maybe some people think that's really optimistic, but uh, yeah, the way World Cups work out, once you get a bit of momentum, you get some combinations occurring, then uh, then anything can happen. So, um, you know, it's uh, I think it's an exciting time for Australian rugby. He's he's obviously in charge of selection, but was there a moment where he walked into your office and threw you a bit of paper and you went, "Whoa, all right then." <laughs> I I think um, yeah, there's it's we we stay well and truly out of selection, which is uh, which is a good thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I think everyone sort of saw some some omissions, some selections, and uh, and thought, oh, that's a little bit different. Um, but he's been around coaching at this level for a long, long time, and he knows what it takes to uh, to perform on the big stage. So uh, you got to back uh, the man uh, who's in charge of, of your team, and uh, away he goes. It seems like people are actually um, coming out with that sort of company line that it's like the French in 2019, and so that's a good template. But the difference is the French didn't have a Quay Cooper, um, you know, to bench in favor of Roman Intimac at that time. 
And Eddie Jones has implicitly now put Quay Cooper, a 65, 70 cap leader, one of the best rugby players in the world, let's be honest, um, a player that would make a lot of other squads. He would make the Springbok squad, for example. So he's not in there. Ben Donaldson, who has an all of two caps and only one important kick, which he missed. Um, and you would think that even if Carter Gordon is the future, and this is a good 2027 starter kit, you'd still want that old gray wolf Quay Cooper on there because he's <laughs> zen. He can deliver. He even delivered in the blood of flow too with that kick from you know the other from the other side of the Tasman. Yeah. So why? Why not wait? If, if that's the play, then why not wait till 2023 to replace Dave Rennie? Just go to the World Cup with whatever you got and then bring in Eddie, you know, in December and then build 2027. This seems like a little bit of a blend here of we kind of think we're not going to win this year. We're still going to try, but let's put our eggs in the 2027. That is the, one of the sentiments that is expressed on social media to us when we say we're having full wall on. I said, get this across. What do you say to all that? <clears throat> yeah, um, I'm not sure if you probably answered your question, but um, I think uh, I, I think it's um, yeah. I mean, you can, quite, let's just go Quade for a second because I think yeah, Quade um, burst onto the scene. I mean, I played in his first test, right? I think 2008 against Italy. He scored the winning. I was winning, thinking that he scored. He scored the winning try um, against uh, Italy in uh, in Padua. Um, with, he was, with he was the Carter Gordon, yeah. With, with, <laughs> a bit of, true. with a bit of individual brilliance, and um, and so yeah, we're in 2023 now. Um, it's a uh, it's a long journey and a, and a wonderful career, um, and uh, and I think that people underestimate uh, what it takes to come back from an Achilles rupture um, back into into global into the into the, onto the global scene, and it, that he's only been back for uh, I'm not sure exactly how long, maybe yeah. two months. Uh, and 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 yeah, the game's only getting faster and uh, and more combative, and so so I think that uh, I think that we all expected him to rebound like he was back in 2021 when he played so well in the in the rugby championship uh, to bounce straight back into it. So um, look, I, I think he's done wonderfully well just to get back out onto the field playing in that arena. Um, Eddie's probably looked at it and said, well, actually, uh, you know, I, I mean, Foley's another one who you could, you could yeah, he's been quite. Quite unfortunate. Um, so, you know, if you have sort of Quaid and, and Foley and you think about their experience, um, and then you, know, you, you, you go with uh, Carter Gordon, who's been great combining well with Tate uh, McDermott, and uh, and then Ben Donaldson. And to your point, Harry, I don't think any of us have seen a lot of Ben, ben Donaldson yet, but uh, we're not at training every day, and, and they're clearly seeing something in their training every day that mm. says, actually, if we do lose Carter, we're very confident that, uh, that Ben can step up uh, on the big stage and... You know, in 2015, Bernard Foley, uh, you know, it wasn't not many people were talking about Bernard Foley in 2015 and he came through and, and pretty much took the team almost to beat the All Blacks in that World Cup final. So, you know, it's uh, it's it's sometimes I think as, as you know, administrators or, or rugby lovers to uh, to sit back and go, well, actually, I'm just judging a player on um, on what I've seen on the on the on the playing field. And I haven't seen a lot because I haven't played a lot, but you, these guys are training in a, uh, an intense environment, day in, day out, uh, and coaches are watching them and uh, they're seeing stuff that we just don't get the opportunity to see. Mm. As an old number seven, Phil, if we had told you five weeks ago when you first sat down in the corner office that Eddie Jones is going to go to a World Cup without Michael Hooper, would you have stood up and walked out or how would you have reacted then? Yeah, I mean, there's there's another guy who's been yeah. um, phenomenal server for the, of the game, 125 tests and... 
Um, and uh, you know, just won his eighth Johnny, uh, uh, eighth Matt Burke Cup uh, with yeah. the Waratahs. I mean, it's just it's, again uh, massive, uh, massive career. Um, but yeah, equally, he's uh, he's sort of been suffering that calf strain, which is uh, as you get older, and you guys might have experienced it. If you haven't, I have. But uh, as you get older, the, uh, the, the the you know those injuries just take a little bit longer than uh, than they <coughs> should. So um, yeah, it's uh, and and you know I've spoken to to, to Michael. He's pretty pragmatic and uh, and positive about the fact that he'll keep training hard. And if uh, and if he gets the opportunity somewhere along the line that someone gets injured, he'll be ready to go. And that's pretty much sums up his career, I think, in my in, in my view, is just uh, yeah that positivity that he's got into everything with. Could he finish his career with a bar, bar bars tour? Uh, well, that's interesting. I mean, I think uh, yeah, I think there's some some yeah real serious uh, consideration around uh, you know whether he wants to uh, go to Paris with uh, with the with the Olympic team in the sevens and yeah, you know, thing about the athlete that he is, um, he could transition. Uh, probably a lot easier than a lot of other players. Yeah, yeah. Is that something that you, as in Rugby Australia, the Royal U, would encourage that that transition? Well, my view, my view is with uh, you know player and, and athlete um, and ambassador like uh, Hoops. So I yeah. think that it's really important for us to support his ambition and his transition. I mean, he's been he's been just such a great ambassador for our game for so long, and, and he epitomises the way that Australians should go about sport in terms of mm-hmm. that never you know never say die attitude and keep fighting for as long as he can and uh, and that's what he does so yeah we're, we're very open to uh, supporting him in whatever uh, he chooses in the transition period yeah phil you know uh, i i compared open siders like you to bank robbers because you're always trying to steal um <clears throat> the loot and you know eddie said smash and grab he also said possession rugby is dead then he said maybe a little more possession maybe a little bit more than that it'd be okay but it all leads to the idea that open siders are crucial or people can get over the ball, hookers and open siders and sometimes 12s nowadays, getting over the ball because when you do have such lightning ruck and you can build uh, possessions inside the 22, for example, the ability to turn over the ball at phase seven, phase eight, and kill that is so crucial. It seems like a lot of these matches are turning on that. How do you see that playing out for young uh, Fraser McWright? And is there anyone else you see in the Wallabies that's good at getting over the ball, slowing the ball, affecting the ball, on, on you know four or five rucks per possession. Yeah, I think uh, you're right, and because retention's just uh, just improved out of sight, I think in terms of attacking teams, and so having and we saw it we saw it in Dunedin. Um, you know, I think uh, you know Whitelock. I think he stole, stole three or four yeah, at the breakdown, and, um, and and it changed the game, and so uh, so it is a, a game changer. Um, I, I think Fraser's got the ability to do it. We probably haven't seen as much as we'd like in test matches yet. So, you know, does he come through um, as a uh, as a performer at the World Cup? Um, interestingly, we didn't probably get the uh, the, the reward um, or, or certainly the performances in the uh, Pretoria and Argentina and, and the uh, and the Sydney game against Argentina, which is why then uh, you know Eddie went with Tom Hooper, which is a bit of a bigger. Yeah. Back row, um, but you got to, if you can't win, if you're not going to slay the ball down at the breakdown and put pressure on the breakdown, then you need to win the collisions in the tackle. And so, uh, yeah, so I went with Tom Hooper in those collisions, and uh, and that proved pretty pretty successful for that first 25, 30 minutes. Mm. Uh, but but you know, I, I think it's a it's a really good opportunity for Fraser to say, well, actually, I performed well through the age groups. Uh, I performed well at uh, at, at the Reds. Um, now I've got an opportunity to uh, to play, and uh, but he needs to. <coughs> He needs to do what he did in a couple of those breakdowns more consistently than what he has been doing, mm. and uh, and that's the challenge for him. 
Yeah. yeah. Also, the counter. You saw Will Skelton and Tom Hooper both counter rock successfully, yeah. and sometimes as a as a solo effort. Will Skelton, Will Skelton can counter rock all by himself. I mean, by just, himself, yes, I mean, quite effectively. He can just reach over the top of the uh, the breakdown oh. when there's ten people in it and still reach the board. He did that? He did that too. What I'm hearing in all this, Phil, is that um, if if ever there was an ex player ready to be a CEO, it's probably not a bad thing that it's the number seven. Because if anyone's going to know the dark arts of business, it's got to be an old open side, sure. <laughs> you, you, you always work out a way, Brett. You sort of you know, <laughs> sneak in the side, you know, whatever it takes, and then you've got to work out not, 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 not to get caught. Yeah, yeah of course. Of so, course. so, I, so you saw Vudavala made the squad, obviously, and that's also some contention. And that pivots to a larger issue, which is what you raised earlier about the league. And the ability, if I'm a you know young power athlete, I'm an up-and-coming guy, I just want to be a professional athlete. I just want to play a professional sport. Australia's got a unique proper problem in that the sports are too similar. So I can, I, can, I can go down the same way and still choose. Whereas if I'm in New Zealand, if I'm in England, if I'm in France, it's not quite as clear that I'm going to be able to jump to another sport. So, um, you know, is, does Hamish have a big whiteboard inside R R A that says defeat league? Um, and what is the plan <laughs> to be? To, what is the plan to take more market share from league? Because to me, from the outside, that is the obvious. It might be difficult, but it's the obvious play. Is there has to be ascendancy there for the young athletes, and that's going to make Australia incredibly competitive and maybe even you know dominant if you could get those athletes. Yeah, you shouldn't be so surprised, Harry, when you say dominant. We're going to get there. Right? We're going to get there. But I think, uh, yeah. I think the 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 um, which is why when we talked earlier, just around pathways and the importance of uh, exposing these young uh, boys and girls to the global elements of our game. And uh, yeah, Brett, you joked about the sponsorship with Qantas, but I mean that's genuinely how we can uh, differentiate ourselves against uh, against rugby league. Um, and, and 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 I think that then goes through into uh, in, into the um, you know the the, the Wallaby sides and, and Wallaroo sides because you know the reality is when you watch uh, what's going on with uh, the Matildas at the moment I mean that's really interesting because we're all following the Australian team um, and and you can't do that uh, to the same extent in in in, in other codes um, like you can in rugby so uh, I think I think that's it you know if I, if I if I'm playing rugby league and uh, and I've had good experience in rugby league. And I've done, um, you know, one state of origin, one a premiership. I mean, what would be more attractive than going to a World Cup and going and, and touring the world uh, with the Wallabies? And, uh, you know, the really interesting thing for us is, you know, what are, the, what are those athletes that can transition into rugby really easily uh, rather than just going with your big names? And, you know, that, that normally goes back to pathways and those that have had history in the game. Yeah, yeah. And there's certainly a few out there. Look, it's been a fascinating conversation, Phil. We've thrown all sorts of topics at you. I think we've thrown every topic at you that we kind of wanted to. Um, I wasn't going to ask you how you got the job and, you know, jokes notwithstanding about worldwide searches and car parks and things like that. But is it a – you've been involved at board level for a while. So is it a role that you actually saw yourself filling at some point? Um, well, you joked at the start that George Smith wasn't available. So, <laughs> true, true. Uh, I think, um, no, to, to be honest, it wasn't a uh, aspirational role um, yeah. for me. I was, I was, I was, I was uh, you know, tracking really well in my finance career and 
Um, and then and then the opportunity came up with uh, what we have in front of us. And uh, but also, I guess I've learned a little bit more about the game and administration from being on the board. Um, yeah. And and I genuinely feel like I've got a lot to offer the game. And uh, and you know, I, I think that. Uh, I love the game. Um, you know, I love uh, the people involved in the game, and uh, and I love uh, what the game's all about. So uh, it was a, you know, a really, uh, you know, um, you know, a humbling experience when I got asked uh, if I'd be interested in the role. And uh, and you know, as I said, it's a, a bit like when you put on your, your Wallaby jersey. I mean, anyone can put on a Wallaby jersey, but you got to actually go out there and perform in it. And uh, and yeah. I, I think very much around uh, this role, a bit like that. It's uh, I've been fortunate to be given the opportunity, but most importantly, I've got to perform. Are you looking well, forward this, to that it, element? I, I, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, like I like pressure, and I like yeah. Um, yeah. I like I like I like succeeding, and um, and 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 I like working in really good cultures that want to do well. And, um, and yeah. so, uh, you know, how do we create that around rugby and around the people involved uh, in rugby? And, uh, you know, there's just so many good people and it's just about actually being really aspirational. And, you know, we, sort of, you know, we, we can be the best team in the world. We can win uh, World Cups in both the, the men's and the women's game. And, um, and that's what we've got to believe. And, and uh, you know, you've you got to set up all the systems and the investment to, uh, to, to be sustainable um, in, at that level. And, uh, and that's what we intend to do. Phil, is this the most exciting job you've had, uh, except for Open Cider for Warren Sons and Wallabies? <laughs> it's actually pretty similar, as I said earlier. <laughs> Put your head in and go for it. But uh, yeah. no, it's, um, yeah, I've, I've had some big roles in finance, but uh, I mean, this is uh, just just such a, 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 a great honour um, to be leading the game, and um, and and yeah, it's uh, it's certainly the most exciting. When you're five minutes late to your office, do you see Hamish in your chair uh, posing as a CEO <laughs> to kick him out? Be honest. It's just like it's just like it's, it's just like a breakdown. You got to be first there. <laughs> Wait, what, is, what is Hamish's? What is Hamish's most endearing trait? The public wants to know. We, we only see the rough, rough battler side of him. You know, he's got to be he's got to be sweet at some point, no? <laughs> I, I like I like uh, I like I like uh, his ambition. I mean, I, I, I mean <laughs> his most endearing trait is his ambition. We all I like, like and, it. We all like and, his ambition and and, and courage. I, I'm certainly very courageous. Uh, no, I think he's a, he's, he's he's been. Uh, I mean, it's 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 a really uh, as I said earlier. I mean, the board's uh, a really uh, involved and robust board, which is uh, it's actually really good to work with. And I. Yeah, you got to lean in, and you got to lean in and have a crack. I mean, it's a, it's yeah. a competitive environment, and we need to be uh, we we need to be in there, um, you know, putting 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 rugby forward and uh, and really leaning in on behalf of the game. Yeah, yeah. Look, Phil, it's been fantastic. We've really really enjoyed this. Um, I hope you've um, got a little bit out of it. You've got an idea of what uh, of what the rugby public is is thinking because they certainly told us to to ask you. So, <laughs> thanks thanks so much for, um, for for giving us a bit of time on a. Uh, on a, on a, on an evening like this, and um, and look all all the best for the job going forward. Oh, well, th thank you, and uh, keep up uh, your good work and what you're doing for the game as well, because uh, I know there's a lot of interest, and uh, I'll watch all the sledges come through on the uh, on the, on the texts afterwards. So uh, and uh, and feedback, but uh, look as as I said, it's uh, I'm uh, I, look, we're here, as I said, we're here to serve the game, and yeah. um, and 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 we'll be doing everything we can do uh, uh, to ensure that rugby's thriving again in Australia. The roar. Harry, just fantastic to have uh, Phil War on the um, on the pod. Um, if you hadn't said two years ago that when we started this pod that you'll get 
two rugby Australia CEOs within six months of each other. I think I would have laughed at you. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a story within a story there. <laughs> um, yes. Fucking uh, Andy and Andy was really uh, bullish on the future. And he had a lot of the same outlooks. Actually, it was very similar. Um, but I can see why Phil got the job. And, and one thing also, Phil stepped up. He took on all our questions. We peppered him with yeah. the, rough, the roughest ones that we've been given, except for the really ridiculous ones. Um, yes, and there were and, some ridiculous uh, ones. <laughs> right. And so, no, I, I, I thought he did a good job. He, that's what someone has to do. If he can consistently yeah. do that for years, I think people will appreciate that. Just take it on. Don't yeah. be defensive. Don't go into company lines, uh, you know, CYA kind of stuff. And the only thing, the only one of all that that I detected was this idea of the Fran- that this is the French uh, system. I don't buy that. I, yeah, I, I don't I, think it's I, that I that only, that simple. I, I, I buy that only to a certain degree, which is I think Eddie has made a sober calculation in his own mind and said it's very unlikely that we do anything but semifinal tops. And that's mm. okay because I'm going to take this thing and build something really good for Lions and 2027. Yes. That's fine. I'm, I'm fine with that. But then have a couple of redundancies. Have some white bait. Exactly. And it's probably easier to retrofit around that around this idea of this is what France did six years ago. Um, yeah. It's and everything else. I thought Phil was straight up, and I think uh, absolutely yeah, agree. The right. He's got the right spirit, right attitude. I think chasing yeah. this community involvement and aligning has always been the thing that defeated uh, Raylene. Uh, and yeah. anyone before, it's always been difficult to, uh, you know, overcome parochialism. That that is going to that is going to be <laughs> the biggest challenge he will face in the next twelve months. If 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 twenty twenty four is his genuine goal to get some sort of degree of domestic competition being played at this back end of the year, the way that that competition happens will be his challenge because there will be some who firmly believe it should be built around clubs. There are those who will think who who will say that. You can't possibly build it around clubs. It'd be way too expensive. They're not equipped for that sort of thing. Um, you know, you won't get enough players in there. Um, there'll be those, and I know there's some state CEOs who just say, we've got these guys contracted 12 months a year. Let us use them. Let us use our programs. And so that's why I asked the question about uh, building yeah. it around the states because I know it's a conversation that's been had. So that how that competition looks and what form it takes will be – his biggest challenge over the next 12 months, I've got no doubt. But if he can if he can make it happen and we are watching Australian domestic rugby at this time next year, then well played to him. I'll be the yeah. first congratulations. He's a, good, he's, a good, he's a good fellow. And I liked his, his yeah. answer about the most endearing trader, but I his ambition. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, indeed, indeed, indeed. Um so some results from over the weekend. There was a host of uh, of uh, World Cup warm up games um, from from all around the world. Namibia had a win over Chile in Chile, 30-26-28, which is a fantastic result um, for them. Um, Tonga beat Canada uh, on Thursday, Friday last week. It was uh, Georgia had a big win over Romania, fifty six six, which. Certainly all goes well for for Georgia in Pool C. Then we saw England beat Wales 19-17. France beat uh, Scotland 30 points to 27. Um, Portugal had a big win over the US. And there's been, on top of Tonga beating Canada uh, 28-3, that that was in that game, um, there's been a 
a little bit of discussion about the state of North American rugby at the moment, that, that Canada and the US really feel like they've dropped off a bit. So it feels like we're going to have to probably watch this space for a while. Yeah, I mean, the game was played in the Algarve in Portugal, um, and there might have been quite a few players not available. But I think that the point yeah. is still apt and, and well taken. My biggest takeaway from all those games was that Antoine Dupont kicked a ball flat. Like he actually <laughs> he he had a box it's... kick where the ball was ca- caught by yeah. Kinghorn and, and it was flat. It was, And it he's was had like to mini, say, hang on, yeah. this is flat. And I love that Nick Berry says... Well, I've never seen that before. <laughs> yeah, something that's that's interesting. I, that's I'm going to bookmark that and think about that later and see. Yeah, is he, yeah, is he yeah, the yeah. hardest saw, kicker of a of a rugby ball ever to just kick? I saw back. I saw Dupont say he kicked it and he heard a fizz straight away and he thought, oh, that doesn't sound right. So yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> it's interesting. Le On fizz. the topic of France, some. <laughs> Some some breaking news. Not long actually before we started recording this, um, Roman Entomac has been ruled out of the World Cup. He went off the field, has helped off the field after 55 minutes in that win over Scotland uh, in set it here on, on Saturday. Uh, they <laughs> hoped at the time, and they were actually quite, I think, bullish that it wouldn't be too bad and that he'd be, he'd be right after a, a week or two, but scans revealed a, a ruptured cruciate ligament, and he is done and that is a massive moment for France we were looking at a World Cup that was going to have it was the battle of the tens you know we had you know Farrell Sexton uh, Russell Pollard Intermac Cooper basically people who were from 29 to 30 ish 35 at the peak of their careers now there's like they're they're almost extinct yes yes (laughs) most teams have one only have one recognized club yeah or they're ruling themselves out with, with their yeah. own actions. Um, Duan Vandermeer from, from Scotland was also helped from off from the field with that game, and he's under a little bit of a question mark as to his fitness going forward, but uh, hopefully that's not too bad. For Italy, their centre, Tommaso Menoncello, has been, was ruled out as well. He had a, a biceps injury against Ireland Saturday week ago, so that was, again, worse than first, first felt. So... These warm-up games, there's, they're claiming some scalps and they're claiming some names already, which is which is interesting. One of those scalps could well be Owen Farrell. He'll face a World Rugby judicial process uh, Tuesday night England time after being charged with a dangerous tackle for his red card uh, against Wales. He was suspended earlier this year before the Six Nations. He uh, had a week taken off after completing tackle school, which is... Interesting in itself. It was suspended in 2020 and 2016, both times for uh, for high tackles. This will go in with a mid-range entry point, which is a starting a starting range of, of six weeks. And there is a lot of co- of community of commentary around this now, saying that he should not get anything less than six weeks. And the argument might be, having just done tackle school this year, that he should get more. And it's hard to argue with that. He'll get five because he can plead guilty and apologise. And you then that takes down to five, but it's it's yeah. very hard to see him going to four, and the reason is because um, of the prior um, history. So yes, and if you say if you give him five, it's still it's very difficult then to see how that's going to play out in his pool matches. I mean that yeah. is a big big development. Um, I think 
I think six gets him back in time for their last one. I think five right. would rule him out of still rule him out of Argentina and Japan. I, I think I'll stand correct. Unless they can play some non games against Portugal indoors. Somewhere <laughs> Have Saracens got a tour game somewhere that needs to be played the next like on a random yeah. Wednesday sometime soon? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, on the injury front as well, Melbourne Rebels captain Brad Wilkin. Uh, limped off uh, with mm. a right ankle injury and, and a bit of frustration as well uh, in a club rugby lo- uh, um, semi-final in in Brisbane on the weekend. Um, he's now got to pass a fitness test because so he would almost certainly have been included in that Australia A squad as well, which, as Phil War mentioned, plays uh, Portugal in France on August 26. So we'll see how we go there. Um, and an interesting little piece of jersey chat to finish, mate. Uh, reports over the weekend that the Springboks won't play most of their World Cup matches in the green and gold jersey. Because according to reports... Yeah. According to reports over the weekend, World Rugby is talking about bringing forward this new policy of theirs on kit clashes, and it will mean that the box will wear their green and gold against Tonga and Romania. But according to Rapport in the Republic, they'll wear that psychedelic turquoise thing against Scotland, and then they're just going to play in a white jersey against Ireland. So, I mean, Ben Darwin just last week talked about alternate jerseys and what that does for teams. So it's kryptonite, baby. Or um, they will never, ever lose in the turquoise Miami Dolphin upchuck jersey, (laughs) ever. You might be right. You might be right. It'll be the outlier. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. A last little bit of breaking news just before we came on the pod from a friend of the pod, Michael Atkinson, uh, the uh, the reigning starting left winger. Uh, Queensland Reds have signed former All Black uh, Jeffrey Tumunga Allen for the next two years, which joining up with Alex Hodgman up front as well, certainly there's... Mm. Couple of big boppers in the Queensland pack next year. So Michael we'll was all over our out. TVs Atkinson. Uh, That's oh, why he's yeah. on the big bucks and heading to France. So we'll <laughs> I mean we've we've actually been in touch with his people about talking to him during the World Cup, but I'm not sure if he's gonna fit, fit us in. I, he might have he might have too much on. So yeah, can, can we afford him we'll anymore? I don't know. I'm not sure that we can. I'm not sure that we yeah. can. I'm not sure that a starting berth in the Royal Boars is going to be enough, but we'll we'll see. We'll keep working on that. But that might be us done, mate, for episode 75 of the Raw Rugby Podcast, powered by ASICS. Don't forget, Harry and I are both on the social. We're on Instagram. We're on threads, and we're on whatever Twitter is called this week. Uh, do leave us rating reviews if your pod platform allows it, and there's been a few more flood in in recent weeks, which we thank you all for them. Uh, and do like, follow, subscribe, and make sure – all the new episodes go live as soon as um, go, go into your notifications as soon as they go live, and particularly with a string of instant reactions and things like that coming up through the World Cup. So don't miss out on any there. It's the Raw Rugby Podcast with me, Brett McKay, and Harry Jones every week on the Raw.com.au Australia's biggest sporting debate, the home of all your favourite international rugby analysis, opinions, and conversations. Keep an eye out now for the naming of the Raw's greatest ever at Wallaby World Cup 15. It'll be named in the lead up to the World Cup, and it's all thanks to ASICS, the official performance apparel and footwear partner of the Wallabies. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your ears next week. Come play with us.